is going to be a great podcast. I've only cried three times today. Happy birthday, Kristen. <laughs> and happy 4th of July. Uh-huh. Your birthday is more important to me. Okay, good. Thanks. You are more important than America. Yes! <laughs> Welcome to Chronically Narnia. Uh, today we are discussing The Horse and His Boy, Chapter 6, which is titled Shasta Among the Tombs. Oh. I am Dr. Jackal, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. Puss Puss, also known as Chris. Also known as Puss and Boots. I don't own boots right now. You don't... Doc, you you cheated. Doctor Jackal is not a character in the chapter. It's and Doctor Jackal said. is not his name. Yes. He's Doctor Jekyll. I know. Therefore, I know. You, you you're you're just making stuff up now. There's one, <laughs> there's one character in this chapter, mm-hmm. but Huynh is still alive. Huynh is still alive, but we'll get there. Uh, so anyway, welcome to the chapter, Kristen. Thanks. Uh, um, happy birthday. Thank you. This is Kristen's birthday weekend podcast. She is Start. turning like 25 again. Um, I'm, I'm celebrating the, the fourth anniversary of my 27th birthday. Uh-huh. That works. Uh, you can do math at home, listeners. But yeah. Yay. Woo-hoo. Exciting. Anyway. Fourth of July. My birthday. Yeah. Fireworks for my birthday. Maybe. Maybe. If they're not all cancel- canceled because of the corona. I'll go out and buy some. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, so anyway, I, I guess we'll get right into it. We I don't really have a lot to talk about in this chapter. Nothing at a, all. We're done a, already, in fact. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, what am I thinking of? Like, uh, I'm thinking of something that's like a one-room story. Like, there's a name for that. It's a like, one-room story. I don't know. It's kind of like that, where, like, <laughs> the, the, the bulk of this chapter takes place in this very small uh place gosh um i shouldn't do these after work you should um (laughs) so when we begin our podcast regardless of how much we've slept or how much we've worked um we begin with a summary so as we're reading we go through and we pull out five sentences in an attempt to summarize the chapter with the chapter's words um and i'm gonna go first because i said so okay Greatly to his relief, he saw, about five minutes walk away on his left, what must certainly be the tombs, just as Bree had described them. Great masses of moldering stone shaped like giant beehives, but a little narrower. And now that the gates were shut, he knew there was no chance of the others joining him that evening. He was wakened, suddenly, by a noise he had never heard before. And whether he really had been dreaming or not, what was now lying at his feet and staring him out of countenance with its big, green, unwinking eyes was the cat, though certainly one of the largest cats he had ever seen. Shasta was sitting in the shadow of one of the tombs when he looked up and saw two horses coming towards him. 
All right. You struggled with that a little bit. Struggled with reading it. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't think I struggled with the summary. I did not. We did not choose any sentences in, in common this time. See, you did do your summary before and left it in front of me, and I was going to try to steal your summary. <laughs> and, and that is against the terms of our contract. And read all five of your sentences as if I were <laughs> writing yours. We would have to quit the podcast. <laughs> This is a very professional business relationship we have. Um, so anyway, I'm going to go ahead and read my sentences. It was like coming to the end of the world, for all the grass stopped quite suddenly a few feet before him, and the sand began. Endless level sand, like on a seashore, but a bit rougher because it was never wet. He turned his face west and trotted toward the tombs. He was just going to run for it when suddenly, between him and the desert, a huge animal bounded into view. Shasta trotted back through the tombs. They looked quite ordinary now, and he wondered how he could ever have been afraid of them, and down into the cultivated land by the riverside. Then his heart gave a great leap, for he recognized them as Bree and Huynh. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is going from more of a journey-ish uh, Yeah, no, no, definitely. Here. Uh-huh. Um, I was just trying to hit some of the major points mm-hmm. and a little bit of the feel of it, but I like your, your journey considering as nothing happens in this chapter. In the first paragraph, he successfully gets out of the room, out of the city, and mm-hmm. basically to the tombs. Goes off toward the tombs, which are first point of order, really close to the city. Like, when I was reading, like, the first few chapters, and they're like, oh, hey, you know, if something goes wrong, we go on meet at the tombs. I was just like, all right, this is, like, maybe, what, a day's ride from the city or something, and that's, like, a place where we can no, figure I out where we are. No, I pictured it as being right on the other side of the city. Like, you would have a graveyard right outside the city. Yeah, I just pictured it as being, like, a distant thing. It'd be like, hey, if we're getting pursued, if stuff goes down, and we have to get out and meet somewhere, let's meet somewhere far enough away that, like, it's not a huge issue. But this is right outside the town gates. Like, it's Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't like if they're getting pursued. Well, no, I just... These are all things I inferred. Okay, okay. okay. (laughs) I was just like, this is our contingency. We're going to meet here, like a, you know, like a safe house or like a safe place to go. Mm -hmm. Or like at the Starbucks on Main Street in Disneyland. If you get separated... Which, which to me is not a place that you can... It's not a good spot to meet, by the way. (laughs) uh, That you can see from the city walls. And they even make the point in the chapter of being like... Oh, Shasta comes up and he's just like, oh, maybe they're hiding around the other side because, like, if you're standing on the walls of the city, you could just see them there. And, like, that just seems, like, way too obvious of a meeting place. The whole point is that it's a place if they get separated, though, and that's what Bree said. Like, I understand how you could have... No, I don't. How did you infer so much wrong with that? It's if they get separated. Like, have you ever lost someone in a group? I have. Okay. Like, we lost someone at Disneyland for three hours one time. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And, like, kid was wandering around for three hours at Disneyland looking for us. We found him, like, crying in the middle of Main Street. Oh. He He did not go ride rides. Oh, it's just like he didn't ride Small World, like, six times in a row? Yeah. No. (laughs) He didn't go to an employee... We had reported to all of the employees, it was well known that if a kid said he was lost, that they had a meeting place for us to meet him. We had someone waiting there the whole... Nope. Nope. His name was Vinny. Oh. Yep. I was, I was going to make a joke and be like, but but when did this happen with Joe? I forgot. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <sighs> 
No. Gosh, I think I was like 12 when this happened, but golly gee, that was an interesting experience. Yeah. But no, no, no. Like after that, anytime we went with a group of people to Disneyland, like we established a meeting place. Mm -hmm. Even if everyone in the group had cell phones, we still established a meeting place so that if a phone died or got lost and someone got lost, we had a place to find them again. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we open this chapter up with the only... Hey, but meeting places are important. Meeting okay. <laughs> meeting places are important. So we open this chapter up with, you know, parkour. Uh, Shasta just running across, across rooftops, and I feel like we could have spent more time on that. Cause, I like, definitely think that we could have had, like, an entire <laughs> moment of him running into the kid that Corin beat up, and, yeah. like, having that kid chase him and stuff like that, or having him run into the guards or something yeah something to make the, the like the escape from the city more exciting because, because like it's so hard for like clearly when like clearly Erebus doesn't get out and when and Bree don't get out like they clearly have some kind of issue getting out since they're not there after Shasta's had a nap and a meal with the royals mm-hmm. like clearly it's difficult to get out of the city so why was it so easy for him to just parkour along the rooftops and get out who even knows um um well yeah i mean he did have the help of like the rowdiest boy in the north prince corin uh god rest his soul we won't see him again (laughs) Um, you don't think we're gonna see him again in the book uh maybe he'll show up in the last few chapters to save the day because like you know he's basically iron man and he'll just pop in and you know punch thanos out or something like that i'm getting my fiction confused i think you're very confused (laughs) So anyway, we, we get out of the city. He has to jump into a, a trash heap, which, you know, I guess sucks. Uh, and then it takes, we take a paragraph and we get out and he starts describing like this, you know, the world outside the city. And I guess for the first time starts seeing the desert, which is described in a really interesting way. Um, but beyond that, again, there was something he had never seen the like of. A great yellowish gray thing. So that's, I guess that's what a desert is, is a yellowish gray thing. I mean... We also, like, like he lived on the seashore, so mm-hmm. he hasn't really experienced this kind of sand. And yeah. so... Which I guess threw me for a loop for the ge- geography of this whole region, because, like, I thought basically the whole thing was desert, and, like, he lived on the seashore, like, by a desert, and so I was just like, he's never seen a desert before? What? Yeah, no, I was a little confused by that, too. <sighs> a... Um, But we also, like, a little bit later, we're going to have him, like, go swim in the river. And we're reminded, like, oh, hey, by the way, like, he lived by the seashore, so he's an an efficient swimmer. Yeah. And so, like, with that little reminder thrown in there, I was like, okay, well, maybe I was just picturing his environment wrong. Because I also was picturing him, like, living in a hut on the desert beach, you know? Like, maybe maybe Callerman is main, like... Except for the desert that separates it from Narnia in the north, maybe it's more like a Mediterranean type. Probably. Climate, I mean, I guess. Uh, anyway, which you know, it was really funny because like there's this line after it, which I thought was like really, really good, and I'm just gonna read that out because I thought it was really cool. Okay. Eastward, the dawn rose, ridge behind ridge into the morning and vanished out of eyesight into guess. It was no more than a glimmer blending with the hem of the sky, but it spoke to them out of the memory and old tales of the high and distant mountains. What is that? Oh, sorry, that was a quote from Lord of the Rings. Um, Oh, I'll actually, no, oh. (laughs) 
got my books mixed up again. Let me read the actual description of the mountains here. Okay, but like um, <laughs> that. Okay, okay. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> mountains, mountains. Though. Okay, so I grew up in Southern California, uh, between the mountains and the ocean, and so I have always um, based my sense of direction on the mountains. I've always like had this kind of point of reference of the mountains just as this ever-present looming like existence around me and I've always found the mountains to be home and comfortable comforting like I'm 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 and so when I moved to Florida across the country and Florida is just flat swampland when I moved to flat swampland and I couldn't find my way anywhere. I didn't know which way was north. I couldn't find direct, like things didn't make sense. I got lost and disoriented frequently. And I constantly felt like I was in a, like a place that didn't make sense mm-hmm. when it came to like the geography because there was no piece of earth above me touching the sky. Uh-huh. Like this was just a weird thing for me. And then, like, I would always say, I miss my mountains, I miss my mountains. And so for me, it's like, this kid is seeing mountains for the first time. And I'm like, that's home, that's my home. Like, and he was saying, you know, Narnia in the north, and he's seeing mountains for the first time. And I'm just like, oh, mountains. And like, I don't know, I, I would just kind of like your input on this idea of like, having moved from Florida where it was flat, having obviously seen mountains in various trips that you did to other areas, but Mm -hmm. moving to an area that suddenly had mountains. I remember you having a moment after about two years here where you were just like, yeah, no, I really like having those mountains there. They're pretty. I mean, when I first moved out here, it was very much just like the the ground goes up. What? Um, That's disorienting. (laughs) Because is, is there a swamp up there that's gonna get me? Because like back in you know back in Florida, obviously like north is you know when when Bubba goes out in the morning to feed his chickens, he always throws the seed to the north first, and that's how you know where north is. But what? <laughs> I I spent some time in the Cumbie area. <laughs> you know, if if you get that joke, you'll get that joke. Um, but uh, no, the actual description here. On the far side of it were huge blue things, lumpy, but with jagged edges, and some of them with white tops. Um, <laughs> and I just thought it would be fun to compare and contrast, like, you know, another book that came out the same year. Tolkien and <laughs> Lewis, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, Lewis is writing for children, and Tolkien is writing for adults. Uh-huh. Like, there is a distinct difference there, but yes, mm-hmm. these are very different humans in their style and their interpretation of fantasy. Yeah. And I always like Tolkien's environmental descriptions. Uh, yeah, because so. they're, they're two-thirds <laughs> of his book. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, I read through a lot of those to get that quote. There's a lot of talk about mountains in Lord of the Rings. Who yes, knew? there is. I mean, like, <laughs> Mount Doom, uh-huh. like, the mines of Moria are under the mountains, like... Oh, um, so anyway, I think, I think we should do like a bonus episode where like, uh, as Steve pointed out, we were discussing kind of last episode, uh, the allegory of what Narnia is. And if we were like an allegory for Israel or something, and Steve mentioned the point of it being an allegory for England, um, which I almost was going to bring up in that episode, but didn't because, well, I don't like to run on and drone on and take up time talking about things that aren't in the chapter. Okay. I am completely lost. So the last episode, we had this talk about what Narnia as a country was a symbol for. Okay. 
and we talked about, do you remember the conversation yes. where it's like, maybe it's an allegory for Israel? Yeah. Steve commented on mm-hmm. that episode and was like, it's an allegory for England. Yes. Okay. And so, anyway. <laughs> so I think we should do a bonus episode where we talk about, like, Narnia as an allegory for England versus, like, you know, whatever in Middle Earth is supposed to be the allegory for England, which I forget which... Um. <laughs> I forget which section it is, but I know there is one. Okay. Um, whatever you say. I don't think that anything in... in... Tolkien's universe was written with the intention of it being an allegory. Yeah. I he, don't. He, I mean, he famously hated allegory. Yeah. So, so that, yeah. It doesn't mean it's not there. No, like, <laughs> but it was not intended to be an allegory. Therefore, yeah. any any allegory interpreted into it is based on the interpreter. Yeah. So you could say any part of it is. Yeah. So anyway, English. he goes and sees two environments that he's never seen before. And I, before we move on, like, I just feel like most of the interesting meat of this chapter is right here on page one. Um, <laughs> before we move on. Are you kidding? <laughs> so much happens in this I, chapter. Anyway, um, before we move on, I wanted to say that it also threw me for, like, the, you know, just the description of the geography of this place. Because he's outside the gates of Tashban. Like, he's not on some great hill, like Tashban's on a hill, whatever, but he's basically at the level of a river delta. Yeah. And he's looking out of the desert. Not necessarily the delta. Yeah, and he's looking out of the desert, and he sees mountains in the distance. And it implies that the mountains really aren't that far away. Have like, you ever seen a... No. Like, no. Like, no, no, you can see mountains quite a distance away, but, like, not hundreds of miles. Like, this isn't, like, a great impassable desert. Those no. mountains right there are a hundred miles away. I'm going to have to fact check on that. Anyway, you can fact check on it right now if you want to. The peak of that mountain is 100 miles away. Okay. Um, <laughs> again, I still I, I still understand how mountains work, apparently. Obviously. <laughs> so we, we, we see this this environment, and we leave Tashban, and, you know, Shasta gets started on the journey to the tombs. Like, as we said before, doesn't take that long, like five minutes away, basically right outside the city gates. He gets there. And there are these, like, big stone beehives. And this is the part, and again, a lot of things in this chapter threw me for a loop or didn't make sense. This is something that didn't make sense to me. Okay. Is that, again, I was picturing the tombs as, like, this is this ancient, like, place or this, this relic or this lost, you know, I'm thinking of something. This lost, old, broken building. What do you call that? Oh, ruin. 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 Ruin was the word I was trying to look at. <laughs> Um, so this lost ruin, no, and that's why there's these legends that people have over, oh, don't go to the tombs, like, there's ghouls there, and that's why... I genuinely why... don't understand where you're getting this content for your imagination. Okay, well, no, this is an actual thing. Because it's not in the book. No, this is an actual thing where everybody's like, hey, we're gonna meet in the tombs because everybody's afraid to go there because there's ghouls. Yes. And that's what the people of the Tosh People are think. afraid of graveyards because there's ghosts. Uh-huh. But, like, it, it made me think of, like, this thing that's, oh, this distant thing that we can tell fairy tales about. Not like you saying, oh, hey, don't go to that park that's four blocks down the street because, like, there's a werewolf that lives in it, which is a thing you can obviously prove wrong. Yes, but there's a <laughs> graveyard. There's a graveyard three blocks uh-huh. away from us, and uh-huh. I know people who drive past graveyards and hold their breath this day because they don't want to, like, breathe in a ghost or so. I don't even know what the logic <laughs> behind that is, but people, like, you have to, like, Cross your fingers and hold your breath when you drive by graveyards or something. I don't even know. Like, this is... 
don't breathe in any ghosts. I don't know. Like, why do you? Why do? Why do you have to hold your breath when you go past a graveyard? Like, if a ghost senses a living, breathing creature, <laughs> it's gonna come follow you and haunt you. Like, I don't understand. So we've lost the plot a little bit here. Um. Anyway, so we get to the 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 tombs. They look like big beehives. There are no giant bees in this chapter, which is really disappointing. Um. See, when he described them as looking like beehives, I went to like. Uh, um, in Thailand, the Buddhist Wat, the Wat, like mm-hmm. that kind of temple structure. Yeah. That kind of beehive. That's where I went. Yeah. But then, like, he also describes them as looking like big hooded figures. Oh, there's an illustration in my book. They look like that, apparently. We can post the illustration See. on the Instagram. Anyway, uh, so they look like big beehives, apparently. We'll post the picture on the Instagram later, and you can share your thoughts on whether they look like a traditional beehive or not. Uh... But he gets there, there's 12 tombs, and he doesn't Shasta see... Shasta doesn't know what a mountain looks like, but knows what a beehive looks like. Yeah, well, bees are everywhere, I guess. Bees? Uh, no, before the Great Plague. Um, <laughs> killed all the bees. Um, and it's spooky, but he does not see anybody. So, whatever happened, he made it out of the city first. Yeah. So, even though all his adventures, like, you know, getting kidnapped, meeting Prince Corin, like, taking a nap... Still made it out of the city before anybody else. Well, he also still made it out of the city before... Did he make it out of the city before nightfall the first yep, day? Yeah, first day. So they got in. He got out in one day. He yep. got through the whole city. Yep. yep. The other guy, no, not so much. I mean, so, I mean, good for Shasta. He's, he's you know, he, he took a tumble. He took a detour. Still made it. Uh, before the end of the first day, he gets there before nightfall. Still won the race. He did. <laughs> Um, and it's super creepy, et cetera, et cetera, but there's nothing actually there. And he's like, all right, might as well wait here to see if people show up for a while. And he's going to spend the He also realized that they did not just set a timeline, Uh like how long they should wait for each other there. (laughs) Oops. Uh, and then we meet the only other character in this chapter, uh, that gets introduced. A cat. Which is Aslan. Oh, it's a cat. Um. (laughs) A cat wanders up to him, scares the living daylights out of him. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently a really big cat. Apparently. Mm-hmm. A decently sized cat. Possibly named Mister. Who knows? <laughs> a big tabby cat. Uh-huh. Um, so cat shows up and kind of lead and he and he asks the cat, Are you a talking cat? I don't suppose you're a talking cat, are you? Mm-hmm. And the cat just looks at him and walks away, which is exactly what I would expect a talking cat to do. Uh-huh. Like one hundred percent. Well, you'd also expect a normal cat to do that. They kind of just look at you and walk away half the time. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Except that I... See, you have a different experience with cats. Cats know I'm allergic to them. (laughs) So if I look at a cat and say, go away, it's going to come get on my lap. Like, this is what will happen. And it's going to come rub itself all over my bag if I set my bag down. Like, it knows that it will hurt me. And so it just comes to me immediately. This is what cats do. They see you as a safe person because you don't try to interact with them. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, This is a thing where people who are not cat people have more attention from cats because cats are just like, hey, you're not trying to pet me, you're cool. I'll come chill out with you. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Because cats don't want attention foisted upon them. Yes, but I don't want attention foisted on me. That doesn't mean that I go to the people who ignore me. That means I go sit by myself in the corner. That's not how I won you over. I just ignored you for long enough and you were like, hey, you hey, seem safe. you seem so safe. <laughs> no, that's not. Um, so you meet a cat who may or may not be Aslan. 
Uh, we'll get there a little anyway, bit Anyway, the cat wanders away, and he follows the cat. And the cat's like, cool, I must sit down right here on the far side of the tombs facing the desert. Mm. And so the kid lays down with his back to the cat, because apparently the cat's cool with him. Something warm and solid. Like, apparently this is a very large cat. Because, like, he's able to lay down and put his back up against this this cat without, like, I, crushing see, him. This is, nothing about the cat right now says that the cat is bigger than usual. It says, and I'll quote, uh, Sasta lay down beside it with his back against the cat and his face toward the tombs because if one is nervous, there's nothing like having your face toward your danger and having something warm and solid at your back, which is basically implying that he is leaning back against this cat. It, it, it's a cat. <laughs> nothing has said that this is a big cat other than the fact that it is solid. Like, it's if, a brick house. Yep. <laughs> anyway, um... So he goes to sleep, gets wakened suddenly by a noise he's never heard before. You know, he's never seen the desert. He's not aware of desert inhabitants. So, But uh, he immediately wakes up and thinks it's another lion. Yep. And the cat's gone. Yep. Uh, but there are jackals. Which, I mean, the narrator had to tell us because the kid doesn't know. Uh-huh. Um, we, you know, we would have, if we this were there. This chapter, by the way, is entirely addressed to me, the reader. I think twice he references himself as the author. Uh-huh. But, like, it says you, yeah. like, five times in this chapter. You're an English major. What is that narrative voice called? Second person. Okay. Like, when you're talking to the audience. Okay. So it's a second person perspective. Well, I mean, it's a third person perspective of the story, but it is being told to the second person. Uh-huh. And, like, using the second person in the story is something that he's, you know, Lewis has been guilty of before. But it's just, it's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, a, a long time ago, I had this idea to write a book in fifth-person perspective, which would, <laughs> which would basically be, like, what's-his-face from, like, the Ant-Man movies, who's like, starts every sentence with, I heard from this guy who told somebody who my cousin married once. And, you know, that just... <laughs> Everything is from, like, three three point of views away. <sighs> um, so, so my brother's nephew's cousin's sister told me yeah. this story. It's like taking the unreliable narrator to the most logical extreme. Oh, um, <laughs> I like that. That's fun. Uh-huh. Because that's basically what all myth is. Mm-hmm. Like, all of our myths, this. legends, and stories are, are as told to me by this person, as told to them by this person, as told to them by this person. Like, uh-huh. that is really... And I think there is a certain amount, if you generationally remove those, that you're adding credence to the story as opposed to creating an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, so my father told me a story that his father told him that his father told him. Yeah. About a time that he picked melons from a yard. And this is relevant because, like, C.S. Lewis is apparently really into, like, the oral tradition and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And apparently there have been studies done on this and, like, you know, sociological investigations and whatnot. And what we have found, you know, I say we like I was in any way involved in research, but what they have found... Uh, is that oftentimes, like, ancestral oral tradition is very, very accurate. Yeah. And, like, it's it's surprisingly so. And there's always this criticism of it of people being like, oh, no, this was a story that's been told 20 times. It's obviously changed a lot. But that's not the case. Apparently. No, that's because, and, I, and, and I, I'm going to say this as a joke, but at the same time, like, seriously, mm-hmm. 
I've heard every one of my dad's stories 30 times. Uh-huh. And he tells them exactly the same way every time. It doesn't change. And he knows that I've heard them a million times. And it's not, you know, I've heard them every time he meets a new person that he wants to tell the story. And a few times when he's told me again because he forgot he told me. Mm-hmm. Like six times. But like with that said, those stories haven't changed from when I was a kid to now. And their delivery is done exactly the same. And when you talk about the way oral traditions are conveyed, there Mm -hmm. is a community of witness around a a proper oral tradition Uh because of the repeated nature of it in front of the same audience. Mm -hmm. And so that requires, yes, I absolutely think that oral tradition is to some extent very reliable because of the community influence on it. Yeah. Because the, you know, a younger a younger storyteller has to tell the story the same way if there's anyone in the audience who heard the previous storyteller tell it. Mm-hmm. Because he has to be true to the narrative for the sake of his audience who have heard it before. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think is beautiful. Like, I think that that's really cool. We're, we're getting dangerously close to having, like, a real intellectual discussion on this podcast. All right, come on. Get back to the <laughs> beehives and... <laughs> This cat being Aslan, maybe. That, that was almost like worth somebody paying our Patreon fee to listen to. Um, <laughs> we'll oh. get there. Um, so then we hear jackals. And, you know, we we figure out that they're jackals. Uh, because the narrator told us. If, we didn't if, just figure it out. Don't worry. If he'd been an entirely sensible boy, he would have gone back to the tombs near to the river where more people are uh, to avoid these beasts. But apparently he's not a very sensible boy. boy. Uh, so he stays... And the sounds get closer, and then he was just going to turn to run for it when suddenly, like I said in my uh, summary sentence, a huge animal bounded into view. And this time, can you guess? Can you can you guess what the animal is? Uh, well, it there isn't good light, so it probably looks black and has four legs. Mm-hmm. Um, as it's described, if I'm remembering correctly. And I was surprised by this because when I read it for the first time. Uh, listeners, if you have not turned in before, I have never read this book or, you know, any of the, the subsequent books in this series that we're going to talk about. And when I read that sentence first, I was just like, I bet it's going to be Brie and Brie comes out of nowhere to save the day. Oh, but it, but that's it was, a good idea. But it was not. And I was surprised by that. Um, so yeah, it's a big creature, dark looking because of the lighting and it has four legs and a big mane and it's a lion and it roars really loud and shakes the tombs and the jackals run away mm-hmm. and then it wanders up to the kid and no, it's not a lion, you silly goose. It's the cat again. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is definitely like a quarter of the size that he thought it was, and it's the biggest cat he's ever seen, but golly gee, it's just a cat. Yeah, that's, that's where I get my big cat description from. He's just like, hey, even though it's not a lion, still real big for a cat. See, and but that's, gonna... that's like him meeting the cat for the second time. Why didn't he describe it as an exceptionally large cat the first time? <laughs> if it actually was a big cat the first time. Uh-huh. The description of this critter was incomplete the first time, question mark, or is different the second time. Who mm-hmm. knows? I don't know. Not you. Uh, I'm just stretching for content in this chapter. Okay, but <laughs> because... we... <laughs> so... We haven't even gotten... Like, we just barely got to the halfway point of the chapter because we still have all of Shasta's rating to talk about. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, he was really into World of Warcraft for a while. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, is the cat Aslan? 
let's ask ourselves this. Oh, yeah, duh. Okay. And so was the original lion. So this is the second time that Aslan has shown up in this book. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And so that begs the question of if Aslan is here and Aslan's just, like, looking out for this kid and being like, oh, hey, a lost son of Narnia, gotta get him back. And I'm going to be here and, you know, get him together with Erebus. And I'm going to show here and protect him from the dra- from the jackals and, you know, just be a, be a little protector to this kid. Why doesn't he just be like, hey, man, you're Narnian. Come with me. Like, I'll get you out of here. Like, Why didn't what? he just lead him to the <laughs> Narnian king and queen to get him on a boat to yeah. take him back? It's like, is, this, is, is there something about the journey here that we're like... You know, Shasta is supposed to go through. Maybe. Like, is there like. Because we do have a moment where Shasta confesses a sin against cats to the cat. Oh, I once threw a rock at a mangy cat. (laughs) And it scratches him. And the cat turns around and scratches him. Mm -hmm. And this, if we had been reading these in writing order, is a callback to a moment in another book. Okay. Which we haven't read yet, because we're reading them in the wrong order. But I will reference much more thoroughly, and we will have a lot of discussion on when we get to the appropriate book that involves scratching. Okay, just in keeping with the metaphor, just like I imagine, like you know, you're you're talking to Jesus, and you're just like, oh man, I'm really sorry. Like there is this one time I hired a you know contractor to finish my roof, and I you know I underpaid this carpenter who's working on my house, and he just backhands you. <laughs> and I don't know. It's no, a fun. Well, for me, <laughs> as someone who has read all of the books, uh-huh. it is it the 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 turning around and scratching of the kid mm-hmm. is a callback to a moment. Specifically, if you listen to our episode with um, Nathan as our guest, a, a moment that was very profound for Nathan. Okay, um, which he referenced, and you obviously haven't read so you don't know about yet but in uh one of the other books but would you like to share that no 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 no. i don't want to spoil anything but there is there is a moment here where this is reflecting something else that has happened in one of the other books we haven't read because we're reading them in the wrong order Mm -hmm. um had we read these in Mm -hmm. the right order we would have a little more to discuss about what this symbolizes of the cat turning around and scratching him here Okay, so we'll get there. I'll, I'll put a mental bookmark in this and completely lose that in three hours. Um, it doesn't so, matter. It's gonna, it, is a, it is a major moment in the other book when it comes up. Okay. And it is something we will discuss as a profound moment for so many people. He gets shaved by the lion. Cat kind of disappears uh, after this confrontation. No, no, no. The cat, the cat runs them off, yeah. comes back and sits down and he falls asleep with the cat again. Then it disappears. Yes, then it disappears. But the cat has done the exact same thing again. Next morning when he wakes up, cat's gone. Whatever. And he's just like, hey, I'm thirsty. They're still not here. He also tells the cat, I dreamed about the jackals. Like, they weren't real. I totally, this. none of this happened. (laughs) Uh It was all just a dream. Was it? Who knows? Um, So he wakes up thirsty. Sorry, trying to get through the rest of this kind of quickly because we spent a lot of time talking about stuff and things. Um, oh, we don't have enough content to make a full episode because this chapter's really dumb. And he's just like, <laughs> sorry, it is kind of. Um, <laughs> and he's just like, oh yeah, you know, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry. It was probably a bad idea to come out here without any supplies, especially if we're going to spend weeks crossing a desert. I mean, he doesn't exactly think that 
out loud at all, but also he like he got captured. Yeah. And had to run away basically for his life like i'm just inferring things to co- get a more like thorough and deep rich background to the story and you're okay. shooting me down so hard okay but like <laughs> none of this has happened none of this has been talked about they never even discussed trying to buy supplies while in Tashban in order to make the crossing I'm of the desert possible like things which is a huge oversight on their part <laughs> like they this is you're pointing out a folly of theirs rather than some kind of, you know, yeah. mistake that he's now realizing. Like, this is some major oversight on their part mm-hmm. as a group of people who are trying to get across a desert. Yeah. Uh, and then he does a really dumb thing because he doesn't understand how deserts work. Uh, and he's just like, all right, I'm going to go get some supplies, but I'm going to draw this line in the sand here pointing the direction that we need to go just in case they stumble upon it. Like, he's expecting that line to just stay there for... No, 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 that, that's not what he did. Have I... What chapter did I read? I don't know. <laughs> every time I brought up something, no. you're just like, what no. What he that's... did was he marked the direction of the mountain because he could only see it in daylight. Yes. And he marked it so that when the night fell, he could walk in that direction. Yes. And... Without any guidance. Also says later that if... The horses and Erebus get there without him. Hopefully, they'll find the line in the sand that he left. I don't think that it says that. Okay, pause. I need to find this. All right, so I guess I imagine this line. I'm are... sorry, rephrase that so that it sounds I, you're like. You're right. Yay! He decided. Happy birthday. He decided to wait till it was dark. <laughs> he decided to wait till it was dark and then go back to the river and steal as many melons as he could carry and set out for Mount Pyre alone trusting for his direction to the line he had drawn that morning in the sand. Yeah. So he still was like, I'm going to draw a line so in the sand. So what he did was, he saw the mountain, yeah. he said, I'm not going to be able to see that later because I couldn't see it during the night when yeah. the cat was here. Yeah. So I'm going to draw a line towards it yes. so that when the night falls, I can go that way. Yeah. And the whole point is that he's making a stupid decision to go by himself. Yeah. Like that's, it's... I will point to you all of the sentences that say that he's planning to go by himself. Well, it wasn't just that, which, like, he that's how I... He that line yeah. for direction to the mountain. Whether they were there or not, he's going there. And Lewis says it was a crazy idea. Yes. <laughs> and if you had read as many books as you had... If he'd read as many books as you had about d- desert journeys, or I mean, journeys over deserts... deserts and journeys. Hang on. <laughs> Dune. Um, nope. Hmm. Didn't read that one. It's worth reading. It's, it's no, 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 I'm not saying that I'm not going <laughs> to read it. I'm saying, of all of the books I've read... Journeys Over Deserts. Can't uh, think of any. Uh, you read the first book of the Gunslinger series, which is kind of about a journey over okay, the desert. Okay, 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 that's one. Um, I mean, it's mostly about a railroad, but whatever. Uh-huh. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I'm not really getting there. Yeah. I was trying really hard to find, like, a good quote for description of a desert in Lord of the Rings, but there there isn't really one. Yeah, no, there isn't. Um, There is a desert in Lord of the Rings, and that could be another fun thing that we draw in comparison when we're talking about uh, things later in this book. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Children of Hurin, I think, has a scene of someone crossing a desert, which is another uh, middle uh, Tolkien book. Yeah. Um, There is the Desert of Harad, which is basically like the Lord of the Rings version of Africa, uh, which we could do some fun comparison and contrast things between Harad and Kallerman. But um, we could do that. However, or not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Shasta hadn't read any books. 
which is problematic. But why you know, is that if, problematic? Well, it's problematic for anybody to not have read books, but like that makes perfect sense given his upbringing. Yeah. So I'm not gonna fault him for it. Um. Anyway, he goes and he raids the town. He gets some supplies. Not the town. The, the by the garden. The on the yes. river and yes. the garden outside of the town. Well, city town. There is a difference I was drawing there, but whatever. Okay, whatever. Um, so he goes and raids the houses by the river that are not part of the town. We really supplies. love making this podcast. <laughs> I, I, I promise. This is, this is it. We actually like each other, too. Yeah, usually. And we do, in fact, respect each other's, like knowledge of literature and discussion points <laughs> love you <laughs> love you co-host. too anyway so uh and then he goes back and he's like all right gonna wait one more night here basically to see if they show up then i'm gonna set on my own why would you set out in the early morning Be- to walk the- across a desert because there are jackals at night and apparently it's safer to walk in the morning yes but like it's safer <laughs> to walk in the morning for like from like first dawn until hot and then to sleep for like four hours and then to walk until dark and then sleep i mean like, we live in a desert like in the summer hot happens at 9 a.m like it's true <laughs> that's not a yes, lot of time though. but in the summer first light happens at 5 15 uh-huh anyway um don't know how hemispheres work and on a flat planet like narnia is i don't i mean planet <laughs> in air quotes uh so anyway, he hears a noise, looks up, sees two horses coming toward him. It's Hooray. Gwen and Bree! Gwen is a character again. Gwen comes back. But it's not Erebus with them. His heart sank because Erebus is just not there. It must be a trap. And horses are being led by a strange man. And horses are no longer disguised. Yep. Horses are saddled, made up. bridled. There's saddled, a... bridled, cleaned up. And he's, you know, some, some man that's handsomely dressed like an upper slave in a great family. Like yep. He's not your average run-of-the-mill slave. It's somebody, like, I don't know. With authority over other slaves. Somebody with authority <laughs> over other slaves. And he's leading the horses out. Um, so the, a couple, like... And couple, that's the end of the chapter, no, no, yeah, period. A couple of quick, quick things to discuss here. So we don't know what's going to happen with the man. Like, no, there are heart, things to discuss here, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Chapter. Chapter kind of, yeah. Curtain. Drop. Yep. And, and the next chapter is about Erebus and Tashben. Yep. It's a cliffhanger. He, he just decides the least dangerous thing to do. Um, so here's my thing, is that he's immediately, like, distrustful and being like, Ermagerd, what happened? It's a trap. Erebus obviously sold them out, which is the thing I was going to bring up earlier. Ooh, okay. So, yeah, no, that's definitely something worth bringing up because uh, he, he immediately goes, Erebus got caught, tortured, and betrayed me. Yes. He doesn't think that she just betrayed him. She thinks, he thinks that she was caught, <laughs> yeah. tortured, betrayed him. Mm-hmm. What? But that's a callback to an earlier moment in the chapter that I was going to talk about. When Ere- when he says, Erevis, Bree, and Huynh aren't here, maybe they got here and they left me. It's just the sort of thing Erevis would do. Oh! And this, and, and then Lewis has jumps in here again and is like, and this idea about Erevis Shasta was once more quite wrong. And it's, um, again, him being wrong about what nobility means and whether or not the Narnians would kill him yeah. for not being Corrin. I mean, Luz is doing some solid jobs at, like, running with some themes here. Yeah. And, like, no, he is know, maintaining the integrity of Shasta as a character, yeah. absolutely, in the way that he perceives the world. I think he is the most consistent character that we've run across so far in our... Well, I'm not going to say the most. Uh, Uncle Andrew is real consistent. <laughs> um 
I'd say Jadis is also real consistent. Yeah. Other than the fact that she doesn't kill Edmund immediately upon yeah. meeting him, which is absolutely inconsistent with her character. Like, Never mind, I'm wrong. Like Diggory and Paulus, Polly, Paulus, Diggory and Polly, and not so much. Uh, like any of the, uh, you know, the kids in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they have their moments where they just kind of flip flop. Um, but yeah, just, she, she, I guess not. No. Like Susan's just kind of a wet blanket the whole time, and that's yeah. kind of her thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean yeah there there is character development happening here with Shasta and I'm gonna applaud him for that yeah well and it's I mean it's it's consistency within what we already know about his character yeah but it's also on top of that it is world building Mm -hmm. it it shows the kind of structure of society where Shasta as more of slave class views nobility not as noble but as oppressive and lying and backstabbing. Uh-huh. And Erebus is noble as opposed to royal or whatever it is that Shasta's view of people with power is. Yeah. So there you go. We we talk a little bit about his internal thoughts about, you know, as opposed to his external thoughts. We talk a bit about his I thoughts mean, he on does, a, Lewis does externalize some yeah. of Lewis, uh, Shasta's internal thoughts. Yeah. We talk a bit about his that's thoughts That's the nature about, of a uh, book. The chapter ends on a cliffhanger. And uh, we're not sure what's going to happen. But the next chapter we're going to go into, based on the title, we're going to find out what happened to Erebus and why she's not here. And this time I was the one who could not stop myself from reading into the next chapter. And I read the first page of the next chapter. Well, I haven't. So don't spoil anything for next week. It's about Erebus in Toshbon. Wow. (laughs) Anything you want to say before we move on to, you know, start finishing this up? To start finishing this app. Okay. Yeah. Um, no. Okay. You good? No, no. I mean, like, I feel like we talked a lot about Shasta as a character. We talked about what happened, obviously. But we also had some more deep talking about, like, the themes. And mm-hmm. my, my biggest thing that I kind of want to dig in a little more on is, like, why does Aslan care about this kid? Because he's Narnian. And why... Or- is this some like we have all of this discussion about the way that Aslan in in the Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe the way Aslan comes and goes as he pleases. Uh-huh. And he comes and goes as he pleases almost as if to say like he doesn't have to explain himself for whether or not he shows up at any given time. Uh-huh. You know, he can be hands off, he can be hands on. And it's not up to us to decide whether or not anything about that was good or bad. He just gets to decide. Uh-huh. And, like, then we have this kid in another country trying to get to Narnia. And Aslan has intervened twice now mm-hmm. in six chapters. Directly interfered with twice. Shasta's journey yeah. in order to direct him into uh, a group... And to protect him from jackals. Why is he so important? Why is he so important? I don't know. You know. You've read the book before. I don't know. (laughs) I still don't know. Uh, So anyway, let's go ahead and get into our next segment here, which is uh, hashtag Narnia Chopped and Screwed. And in this one, what we do is go through and find five more sentences out of the chapter, remix them, remix, into our own storyline. 
Uh, and for the entirety of this book, possibly other books, we'll see how this one goes. I am doing a single continuous story. This one was so much easier. So much easier than the last chapter, which is crazy because there's only one character in this. I know, right? But the way the lines were set up, I had a much better time with it. Uh, but Good Kristen, luck on the next one, which is just about <laughs> Erebus and Quinn and Bree in yeah. Toshbon. Well, and we'll, your, your main character is not in it. We'll get there. Um, yeah, I should have made... I mean, I, there are times I'm like, I should have made the main character somebody other than Shasta, but then I'm just like, in chapters like this, that's a non-starter, and I can't go anywhere with that. So I kind of had to keep the same main character. But in character. the next one, it might not be. <laughs> yeah. He might not be in the next chapter. Yep. I hope we get more of Corin though. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> you want to go ahead and read yours? Sure. Okay. Um, so what Chris is saying is that he is writing a story overarching, like he's trying to create one contiguous story with all of his rewrites for each chapter. I did not say that. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go first because Chris is going to read last week's at, as well as this week's in order to attempt to unify his story. Yep. Um, so here's my rewrite. It's a trap, thought Shasta. Ow, ow, help, he shouted suddenly, for at that very moment he felt something touch his leg. Uh-oh. A dozen different plans went through his head, all wretched ones, and at last he fixed on the worst plan of all. There were about twelve tombs, each with a low arched doorway that opened into absolute blackness. And he sulked behind the tombs, looking out every few minutes and wondering which was the least dangerous thing to do. Good job. Really good job. Like, eh, very consistent. It's one of your better ones, I think. I know, I thought yeah. so too. Yeah. Uh, tells tells a lot there. He's, yeah. Shasta's like Indiana Jones. Um, I was thinking Shasta's a murderer, <laughs> but whatever. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I, I went with a more of like an exploratory direction than a murdery direction, but that's the difference between our brains. Okay. But also, like, the, what I like to do with these is to take my rewrite and use it to infer more into the chapter. And so I've taken and emphasized this kind of dark theme of a trap and a bad decision on Shasta's point. Yeah. And this kind of darkness of the tombs and want to kind of emphasize just the way that this chapter actually has some really dark content. Mm -hmm. This is Shasta's dark night of the soul where he is alone. Mm -hmm. He is in a grave that he is convinced is full of ghouls and is dangerous. Uh -huh. He is almost attacked and defended by an unknown creature oh it's just a cat it must have been a dream and he's mm -hmm. willing to dismiss every ounce of his fear as just a dream and yet at the same time he is very much actively deciding that he is going to abandon his group mm -hmm. and go off by himself yeah and so this is him churning with all of this intensity and Basically deciding that he is going to do the wrong thing and leave his group. Yeah. And so, yeah, like it is, I very much conceive of this chapter as this kind of just dark night of the soul for Shasta, where it's this reckoning with who Shasta actually is. And like so much of me rewriting this really just like cemented all of this concept for me. Like wow. this is, this is the chapter in which Shasta decides that he's going to be a bad person. Huh. And he's going to abandon his group. 
It's almost like this book is better written than any of the other ones we've read so far. What? Um, <laughs> I so, feel like we said that before. So we need to get a little move on because we still have another segment to do. But So I'm just going to go ahead and read my uh, storyline from last week, which was terrible. I'll remind you. But I'll go through that first. Who are you? Said the boy in a whisper. And of course you remember you've promised to come for a whole week to stay with me for the summer festival and... There'll be bonfires and all-night dances of fawns and dryads in the heart of the woods, and who knows? He was a little worried about Aravis and Bree waiting for him at the tombs. What woke him was a loud crash. These last stands in a house make good stories, but nothing ever came of them. And now we're going to this week. Time has passed. <laughs> now that Shasta knew he would have to spend the night alone, and it was getting darker every minute, he began to like the look of this place less and less. He was wakened suddenly by a noise he had never heard before. Then his heart gave a great leap, for he recognized them as Bree and Huynh. A dozen different plans went through his head, all wretched ones. And at last, he fixed on the worst plan of all. It's just the sort of thing that Erebus would do. Ooh! 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 I like that. That the last two sentences there. Ooh! I like that. Uh huh. You like that? Yeah, I do. I do like that a lot. What? That was no, no, no. Like really, mm, that was good. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens next week with, with whatever the storyline's supposed to be. I still don't like last week's, but yeah, like... La- okay. Like I said, last week, really hard. You might have to go back through that chapter and reselect sentences, because like, I feel like you tried too hard to do a story from that chapter, as opposed to like, using sentences like, he ate food, and he <laughs> slept. Like, that would have been enough to continue your story. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yes. But you you still wanted to have a story from that week, from yeah. that chapter. And I think that a five-sentence story from that chapter doesn't work with your story as a whole. So I think you might want to go back and re-choose sentences from that. Anyway. That would be a sin. And then I, all of that said, yeah. our next segment is the segment <laughs> in which Chris evaluates this chapter. He rates it on its merits and downfalls, and in this chapter, he's going to rate it out of one to five beehive-looking tombs. <laughs> Maybe one to twelve, since there's about twelve of them. We don't know how many there actually are. We don't know how many there actually are. There's just about twelve. I can't change the whole numbering system now. Oh, you can't? <laughs> Maybe jackals, or, you know, I guess beehive tombs. Cat claws. Yeah, like again, not a not a lot of objects or people in this. Melons, uh... melons that he's taking into the desert. How many melons is Shasta? <laughs> How prepared is Shasta? He's stealing melons from this this yard that he broke into. Uh-huh. He climbed the fence. How many melons does Shasta have to get across the desert? Okay. Uh, that's a good one. On a scale from one to five melons, how prepared is Shasta? All right. Um, I was gonna rate this chapter lower. Uh, and then you kind of changed my opinion a little bit with your Dark Knight of the Soul thing you went into with, like, Shasta, like, going through, you know, his, you know, I'm a plebe who doesn't read things, so I have to say, like, his Empire Strikes Back moment. Um, (laughs) 
Have you read books? <sighs> yeah. How many not... books about desert journeys have you read, Chris? Um, prob- two. Probably more two. than me. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. Uh, you kind of turned my opinion around on this chapter a little bit. Uh, I still don't think it's a great chapter. Like we do have a lot of development from Shasta, but again, not a lot of things happen. Like if we take it at face value and we're just like. You know, we don't get into all the discussions about, like, you know, oh, is this Aslan? Is there something more? Is there destiny here? And we take it at just face value of what happened. Like, really quick, boom, he's out of the city. He gets to the tombs. He meets a cat. He hears some weird noises. Then he sees his horses approaching. Yep. Like, that is what happens in the chapter. Yep. And with a brief little interlude where he steals some melons. Yep. And so this entire thing happens in a day, and it's a whole day where he's basically just waiting around and being like, well, are they going to show up or not? See, but when you're waiting for something, time passes more slowly. It does pass more slowly. Uh, Like when you're waiting for a package with nail polish to arrive. Hey, hey, (laughs) it said it was delivered, and it wasn't here. I I wasn't even on hold for longer than one minute with FedEx (laughs) before the next door neighbor came and handed it to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, it's good character development for one person. Uh, we don't really have any other characters introduced. We don't really learn anything more about the world. I mean, it's, it's kind of is what it is. Uh, I'd say I was going to rate it on a very average, like maybe like a 2.5, but you have bumped that up for me. And I'm going to say that, uh, I'm going to say Shasta has a whole three melons that he is wow. taken into the desert. I mean, we don't know how big the desert is, so that might not last him. That may doom him, Chris, but I mean, if they're, I'll take it. Like, if these are, like, watermelons, they have basically zero calories, so I don't know how long you could live on three watermelons. But <laughs> it's really not much. Yeah. Um, yeah. What cool. are your thoughts? I don't know. I don't know. I give this chapter... I give this chapter at least two different varieties of fool. It's not a thing in the chapter. <laughs> yeah? You're it's... breaking so much tradition. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, okay. I, I I liked this chapter a lot with the with what I read into it after rewriting it. Mm-hmm. I read the chapter, then I wrote my summary, then an hour later I wrote my rewrite. Uh-huh. And that's when I saw content in it that I didn't see before. And I saw darkness and intensity and development of Shasta as a character that yeah. I didn't see before. And that is what, like, on a first read-through, it's a dumb, boring chapter. Mm-hmm. But on a review and an actual dissection, it has some really, like, great value. Yeah. So that's, like, the flaw in what I'm trying to do is I'm just, like trying to pick and choose sentences that fit into my storyline and I'm completely ignoring what the content of the actual chapter is in my rewrite. Yeah, I mean... So I'm not really getting that I'm, fresh perspective. No, no, no. And I'm trying to ignore the content of the chapter, <laughs> select sentences, and then view the chapter through the lens of what I rewrote. Mm-hmm. That's where I kind of... You know, sometimes that gives me value and sometimes that doesn't. Sometimes it gives me conversation points. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't, you yeah. know, but that's... Yeah. Anyway, so... Thanks for joining me on this podcast. We're You're gonna welcome. we're gonna abscond and start your birthday celebrations. So. Birthday! After I finish editing the podcast, it's my birthday. Yay! 
Um, anyway, in the meantime, before next week, uh, if you want to, you know, contact us and have discussions about maybe what, you know, a large cat constitutes or like things like that, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can tweet at us and call us mean names. Please don't on Chronically at Chronically Pod on Twitter. Or you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art of the inside of a beehive uh, tomb. Uh, <laughs> whenever it, when, the, the inside of a beehive tomb. Uh, here's the secret, folks. Whenever I can't think of anything to do like fan art of, I always decide to like request fan art of something that's just like a blank black page. I know that's that. My, <laughs> also, you can just kind of sit there and go, um... Yeah, uh, it's part of my charm. Yeah, it's why I fell in love with you. It's why we have so much female listenership. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you didn't have to think. Did it was, I hurt your feelings? Is that funny? I'm sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, go ahead. You're, yeah, we're gonna close this out. You're funny. Thank you. Until next time. Don't drug your maid. And don't forget to wipe your sword. No, 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 no! Don't knock vases off. Like, the, don't put vases in windows. Oh, are we doing that? I don't know. Oh, don't put vases in windows. Don't forget to wipe your sword. Uh, don't abandon your team. Don't yeah. steal melons. I mean, don't throw steal, rocks at steal, cats. Steal melons if it's necessary. Anyway, see ya. See ya next week. Bye. that wrong gonna rewrite it yeah what why why are we just completely <laughs> not here for know. this right now i don't know okay. will you um this i i i know <laughs> my <laughs> patience has completely run out we're gonna have to come back to this after no. dinner so anyway um <laughs> like if a ghost senses a living breathing creature <laughs> it's gonna come follow you and haunt you like i don't understand so we've lost the plot a little bit here um anyway no, like, <laughs> this is where your brain takes weird details and creates a different story. Okay, <laughs> uh, I went with more of like an exploratory direction than a murdery direction, but that's the difference between our brains. Uh -huh. And so I grew up in this absolutely, I skipped the same nail again! Painting my nails, and I've skipped this nail twice, uh -huh. okay. Um, you grew up where? We're, we're getting dangerously close to having like a real intellectual discussion on this podcast. All right, come on, get back to the. <laughs> um. Well, we don't have enough content to make a full episode because this chapter's really dumb. And he's just like, <laughs> sorry. It is kind of. <laughs>